What's up, everybody? This is Zach from Bane and Silent Drive, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. This is Keith. And Tommy. That's right. You are not hearing things. Tommy is back uh, for one episode. For one episode. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy is guest hosting this week. I'm very excited to have him here. I'm very excited to have all of you here. And I'm very excited for today's guest, Jesse Barnett of Stick to Your Guns. This is an excellent conversation. He talks about Stick to Your Guns. He talks about trade wind. He talks about ways away. It's a shorter interview because he was literally in the van on his way into a fest talking to me. And he was kind enough to give this interview right before he went to perform. Uh, But we cover a lot of ground. It's a great conversation. You're going to love it. They're going to love it. Right, Tommy? Dude, he's that guy's a machine. Like literally the hardest working person. Like When he listed out everything he did, I was like, there's no way. (laughs) <laughs> like it was just, there's so many things. And the crazy part was like, oh yeah, we had a tour booked and it got canceled, but we booked a new one in like five days. I'm like, oh my word. Like that, that is just the amount of work that just goes into booking that. I was like, uh, I would have given up halfway through. Yeah. Super hardworking dude. Great bands. He's doing a lot and that's coming up in a minute. Okay. So quickly, if you want to support the new scene, we've got shirts over at Death Wish Inc. Head to the store. Search the new scene, and our wonderful selection of shirts will pop up. Tommy, have you seen the new shirts? I saw them, yeah. I, I followed Deathwish on Instagram, and I, I clicked in on the link the one day, and I was like, oh, I want to see what they look like, because you had posted something uh, about new merch being available, and I was like, thank God there's a short sleeve shirt available now, because I can't wear the long sleeve for you know five months out of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so many people asked for T-shirts. They're here Go pick one up. It's a great way to support the show. And reviews. Tommy, we are still pushing for 100, even since you left, but we're getting closer. Open your Apple Podcast or Spotify application. Hit the five-star button. And if you write a nice review on Apple Podcasts, I'll read it on the air. Those are the two best ways you can support us right now. And support Iodine Recordings. They're a wonderful label. They've got great bands. Hey Thanks is out on tour right now. Check out Hey Thanks on social media. Go catch them. They're one of my favorite bands right now. Their record is one of my favorite this year. Great band. There's plenty going on at Iodine. Check them out at iodinerecords.com or Iodine Recordings on Instagram. Tons of great stuff coming from that label all the time. So so here's the deal. We're going to jump into the interview with Jesse in a second, but make sure you check back in with me and Tommy in segment three because... I have to reveal something to everybody. Tommy and I have not really spoken since he left the show. Now, we've texted, we've talked about random things, we've done this and that, but Tommy, we have not sat down and had a conversation about you leaving the show and how we felt and all that kind of stuff yet. No, no, we haven't had like a full, you know, no, definitely. Yeah, so, I mean, everything's cool. We're still friends. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong. But we haven't had that conversation yet. So we are going to have that conversation in segment three. And I'm very excited because there's a lot of questions I want to ask Tommy. 
and uh, things I've been thinking about. And I will ask you those, Tommy. Sounds great. I, I can't. <laughs> I'm excited. I can't wait. Yeah. So check back in with us. We'll be here. But right now, we are going to speak to Jesse Barnett of Stick to Your Guns. Enjoy. now with jesse barnett jesse welcome to the show hey thank you so much for having me it's wonderful to have you here jesse you know i think you might be the single busiest person in music i i have been researching you we've got stick to your guns we've got trade wind we've got wish you were here we've got ways away i think you even own a bookstore and i'm i'm talking to you you're in a van right now (laughs) <laughs> on the way to a show. And look, we're going to cover all that stuff. But first, Jesse, let me ask you, how are you doing today? Today? Let's see. I would say I'm about a, I'm, I'm, I'm probably at about a 90%, not at a full hundred. We played a uh, show in Dallas that was outside and it was dirt. So I was just the entire set. I was just huffing the dirt in. And so my <laughs> shit's all fucked up. But besides that, mentally, I'm great. <laughs> Which show are you pulling up to now? This is that uh, So What Festival in, uh, in Arlington. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. How is the, how has this tour been going? It's been good. So, you know, we had a Parkway Drive tour that we were supposed to be on right now with um, uh, Black Dahlia Murder and us and Hatebreed. And uh, that got that ended up getting canceled. And so we were kind of like, oh, shit, well, what are we going to do? Because that was a <sighs> frustrations aside. That was a pretty big paycheck that went away, which obviously the last two years has been hard on everyone. Um, not just musicians, but musicians as well. And so that going away was definitely a bummer. So we we scrambled and tried to put this little run together in about a two-week time period. So given all those facts, it's been going very, very good. That's excellent. And it's good yeah. that you can put it together in that short of an amount of time. Exactly. It was, uh, it was stressful, but we got it done. So let's get to know you a bit, Jess. You grew up in Orange County, yes? Correct. And, you know, I, I did some research about stick to your guns. I know that you've done bands before that, but the part that stuck out to me was uh, you got you got kicked out of your house when you were young. Yes. How old were you? I was about this was I was probably 14, 15, 16, 17. Like I, I probably actually really left when I was 15. Yeah. Um, and that's when there, the, you know, just me and my family weren't getting along. And, and um, you know, I, I didn't you know, I was doing performing 
poor in school and all the basic fucking suburban kid bullshit, um, the angsty suburban kid bullshit. And so, you know, I, I, I think I was just so focused on what I wanted to do. I know I wanted to be in a band and, uh, and I know I wanted to play music and obviously, you know, now in hindsight, my mom's just like, you know, she wasn't anti-music. She just wanted me to have some sort of plan so that <laughs> in case the band didn't work out, which let's be honest, that's, statistically speaking generally what happens she wanted me to have something else to uh to be able to do as well and, and in my mind i didn't understand that that uh, train of thought um and you know there was just a lot of other bullshit family turmoil and and and, on, and all sorts of things like that i mean it's, it's things that everybody can relate to you know i i rarely meet a person who has a perfect family life so you know it's all that that kind of that kind of shit Exactly. You just have to hope that you survive it all. And then I feel like you come together later. Like my family went through a bunch of stuff and I went through periods of, oh, everything is their fault or whatever. But now it's just like, ah, shit happens. We got through it. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and obviously, in hindsight, my, of course, my mother was right about, you know, 98% of, of it. And <laughs> I was just being a little fucking prick. <laughs> That's what we do, right? As children. Exactly. <laughs> That's so our job. At what age? did you decide I'm going to do music and this is going to be it? It sounds like pretty young. Yeah. I would say like stick to your guns really started uh, coming to fruition. I would say around like 16 years old. I was, I was really young and it was, it was an interesting dynamic too. Cause we, you know, when we actually started touring, I was 17 or 18 and we were touring with dudes who were in their mid to late twenties. And they would just look at us like, who is this child? Who is this <laughs> literal child? And why aren't you in school right now? <laughs> And so it was funny, you know, I got really used to being the young guy on tour and I got so used to it that even when I started getting 22, 23, 24 and people were like, yeah, you're not, you're not the young guy anymore. You're just the normal age. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I looked a lot younger. I certainly felt a lot younger than everybody and looked a lot younger than everybody. And I'm, I'm talking to a lot of these bands on the podcast now, and I'm stunned to find out they're only like three, two, three, four years older than me. I don't know. Right. It, it took me a long time to grow up. No, definitely. I feel like uh, I'm starting to catch up to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're 15, 16 years old. You're starting this band. How do you make it on your own at 16? Are you staying with friends? I mean, I, I wouldn't have known what to do. No, exactly. So there was a, there was a short period where I actually uh, slept at a park that was a, uh, that was a little dark, but then, um, you know, I had a lot of friends who had houses, obviously who lived inside homes cause they were just like normal. Um, and so I would stay with them and I would just kind of like do my thing and, and I would uh, go from house to house to house and kind of just like couch surf and shit like that. And yeah, so that's kind of what I would do. I find it pretty incredible that it, that young and an age, you, you have the focus, you figure out what you want to do and, and you just start doing it. So what were you doing at that time to, to get this band going and, and make your dream realized? So I had friends who worked at guitar center and I would, you know, we would obviously, uh, I don't know if I want to say this, but we would, we would take what we would need. <laughs> so to speak we it's guitar seize. center it's fine exactly <laughs> we would seize i'll say that we would seize what we would need and in all sorts of different creative ways we would uh you know walk out of the store with things that we needed and um yeah and that's kind of basically just how it started and i i was willing to find anyone that had an inkling of of creative talent uh didn't even need to be really good all at all and um you know when six year guns first started 
I didn't want to be the singer. I mean, even there's, there's a lot of points, even at this age, now I'm turning 35 this year where I still don't want to be, but, uh, I, I was playing guitar. So the very first demo, I actually played drums, bass, and guitar on it. And obviously it sounded like absolute bullshit. Um, but I knew that I wanted to play guitar in this band. And so I spent a lot of my time trying to find singers to, to do this band. And, and it was actually the suggestion of my friend, Noah, who played bass and secure guns at that time, at least who was like, just sing, just, why don't you just lay vocals on this thing? Just so we can start handing out demos and just like getting, you know, letting people know about us and that we exist and shit like that. So, um, and that was kind of what, once I was, once I did that, then it was like, okay, well, why don't you just play a show? Just do one show where you're singing. And I was like, fine. And then we would get more shows and there was just, just do these ones. And then eventually kind of just, you know, fucking 20 years later, here I am still, still doing it. And still not wanting to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I think I've heard you say in interviews, I think until your second LP, you still were planning not to be the singer, right? 100%. I, I, I really, there was a good five or six year period where I was like, I was committed to trying to find someone. And I, and we even did, we found, we found this guy from Orange County called uh, Pat and uh, he was going to do it. And I was so excited because I was like, all right, finally this band can get started. Cause everything, everything before that, even though there was, that was probably that period of time was probably six years. You know what I mean? It wasn't a small period. Um, and we had done so much touring. I was still just like, okay, now we could finally start stick to your guns. Um, and then that ended up not working out. And I was just like, fuck it. I think this is just like a sign that I think I'm just supposed to be here. So it's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, like all those years of doing the band and getting this thing going and you're fronting it. Why did you still not want to do it? Because I felt awkward. I felt really awkward. I hated hearing my voice over the microphone. I hated standing on stage. Like, you know, when a show's going bad, a guitar player can just turn around or a drummer can just look down. Like, I have to face, you know what I mean? I have to face it. And like, I, I, you know, I I still deal with my own anxieties as everybody does. And being, you know, they say like people, people fear public speaking, you know, more than they fear death or whatever. There's that fucking you know statistic or whatever and that was very real like i I was this weird anxious kid with fucking you know adhd or whatever uh or so i was told and i I just you know i didn't like it i didn't want to be center of attention guy i didn't want to be the like i didn't want to be the singer i just felt i didn't feel like i was cut out for it and plus beyond that i felt kind of bored really if not having a guitar in my hands which honestly, I, I, you said at the beginning of the podcast, it's like, that's why I have Wish We Here and Tradewind and Ways Away, all in which I play guitar in. So it's like, you know, that's, I, I feel like I started those projects because I wasn't getting that kind of fulfillment out of Secure Guns itself. Even though I was like still involved in the actual musical writing process of Secure Guns, I wanted to play live, you know, so. I think what you're doing is the ideal situation. That's like everything you're doing in my perfect imagined life is what I would be doing. Heavy band, uh, experimental band, solo band, uh, and then record label, like all that stuff. Because I, yeah. I like you, have uh, very varied tastes. I listen to a lot of different things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, you know, they say variety is the spice of life or whatever. And it's like, I, I, I genuinely believe that. I, I have... I have different parts of my brain. We all do. And we all, we all have different ways we like to express ourselves. And so the fact that I have all these different ways that I can express myself, I, I, I feel very, very fortunate and, uh, growing, growing, getting older is something I've very much enjoyed. Um, you know, and I, I understand that the anxiety that, that getting older brings to a lot of other people. Um, 
but like i i'm lucky that i haven't felt that at least not yet i'm sure there will be a point in my life where i'm like holy shit i'm 50 how did i get here but you know at least for the time being i i've loved getting older and i've loved exploring different things and trying different things and and all that kind of stuff same here the thing i love most about getting older is i can afford to make my dreams a reality you know sure Sure. 100%. Like, like this year, I was like, I want to try live streaming. So I bought a gaming PC and a HD webcam and some lights and I did it. And, right. you know, most of my life, honestly, I was kind of a mess. So it was just like I was getting by. And then at age 35, I pulled my act together and I just turned to age 40. And I feel like I feel like I've hit the stride. So like I've heard you say, I'm enjoying each year of getting older more each year, more than the last. Absolutely. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some advice that was given to me or not you, maybe a listener. Um, yeah, exactly. Anyone had some advice. So I, I play in that band ways away with this guy named Sergi Lupkoff and he's, he's older. He, he had some bands in the nineties that I really looked up to. Uh, he still plays in that band, Sam, I am, which is like one of my favorite bands, but he told me he had a, he, he, he's Jewish and he had, uh, he had, um, grandparents who were in the Holocaust and they escaped and all these kinds of things. And he was talking about how his grandfather told him like, yo, don't start taking life too seriously until you get into your late thirties or forties, like everything up until then just explore, you know what I mean? Just figure out who you are and what you want to be. Cause I think that there's a, there is a, a very big culture here um, in America or in the West. That's like, okay, in your twenties, you got to figure out what the hell you're doing. And it's like, when I was 25, I was just as stupid as I was when I was 16. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a time to be, at least for me, like that's that your, your, your teens and your twenties and your early thirties, like this is still time to, you know, there's this idea that it's like, Oh, time's running out. We got to figure it out. And everything's, you know, and I see these 20 nothing year old kids that I interact with becoming so fucking stressed out because they feel like they have to have their whole life set up by this certain time. And it's just like, you know, I, I, I think that when Sergi told me that, that really, I feel like, I feel like I always knew that, but it really clicked, especially given the context of which he was told that in, it's like, you never know what life is going to throw at you. So if you spend your young years stressing and freaking out about everything, you're going to eventually get older and go, ah, shit, I blew that. Didn't I, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I, so that's my biggest advice for young people. It's just like, do it, obviously do what you want. If you feel like you need to stress and figure your shit out as soon as possible, you know, whatever, that's your heart's desire. But my advice would be don't, don't take it too seriously until you start getting into your late thirties and forties and then being like, okay, what do I want to do? How do I want to support myself? And obviously like it's different for everyone. And that, that could, that statement I just said could come off as classist sounding because obviously there's people who live in poverty and don't have the, aren't afforded the same luxuries or privileges that some of us have so you know it's life is confusing and i think that ultimately we should just be we should just be on this earth to exist to support one another and try to just uh to just uh you know live these happy lives to the best of our abilities i think those are great sentiments and great advice i'm totally with you and also just chasing your dreams and making them happen like you did you know, and I think the earlier you get started with that and you realize it, the better. Like when I was younger, I I was waiting for the perfect situation and the right. perfect situation is never going to come. Like I saw my friends in these established bands and I was like, oh, well, when guys that good come along to grab me, like then I'll start a band. <laughs> no, I, I didn't realize sure. that you have to start with the people that you know and your friends and anyone who's willing to work with you and build from there. 
Absolutely. And I think that's, that's an amazing, you know, you learn that firsthand and that's the best way to learn something, right? Because it's like, uh, you know, everyone, oh, everyone always is waiting for this perfect moment. And it's like every day is a series of moments that you can fight and win um, instead of just waiting for that one, tr- you know, spending every day training for that one moment to come. It's like, no, today is that moment. So exactly. get to it. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, digging into the history of stick to your guns a little more. There was a moment where I think you're 18 years old, right? And you've got a contract offer either with (laughs) Century Media or Ferret Records, right? Correct. Yes. Now, were you like freaking out? That, That would have been my dream come true. All of my favorite bands were on those labels. You're 18 years old. You're kicked out of your house. You're you're doing this band and you've got these two great offers. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. In hindsight, they weren't really great offers. It was more so I was too young to understand. I I was more, I had the same sentiment that you had where it's like, these are two very established labels that all have these bands who I grew up listening to and loving and still love on them. So I was almost like, it doesn't really matter what the contract says. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter what you're going to, what you're going to, uh, how you're going to rob me. I'm just, I'm just down to be a part of it. And, you know, I was really stuck on ferret, but then we went and sat down with century media and they just kind of wooed us a little bit. And then, you know, it, it, there's no hard feelings or anything. It's just, I think given the nature of the music industry, it's just inherently uh, what's the word predatory. You know what I mean? I don't think it was anything personal to me per se. It's not like they're trying to like, you know, ring me out, but it's like, it's the business. Exactly. That's just the nature of it. And, and so obviously, you know, that's why I went, you know, to skip forward a little bit, I I started my own label to, to try to combat that and offer deals that are genuinely fair and offer deals where everyone is on the hook. So everyone has to work hard in order to make this thing happen. But, but either way, to, to, to come back to what you're asking about. Yeah. I signed this, I signed this, this deal with, with Century Media and then they offered me a, this co-publishing deal and it ended you know, there's this, and then, and then we had this lawyer who was also working for the label and it was, it was all this con, you know, conflict of interest nonsense. And I ended up getting screwed, but, but either way, um, we're here now. And that was a learning lesson. And, you know, now I, now I'm better equipped to protect myself. Yeah. It's almost like it shouldn't be, but it's like almost something every band has to go through. Right. Hopefully there is a world in which that isn't the case, but, uh, you know, we can work towards that gradually. Yeah, I've heard a lot of bad stories from the era, like you record the CD and you never see another dollar again or merch money withheld or any any number of bad stories because, you know, hardcore music and all associated genres was big business at the time. A lot of labels popping up, a lot of bands. It was it's a big thing. No, for sure. And I think that's what was happening is like you had these people who were like, fuck, hardcore used to be this thing that was just only played in dingy basements. And now it's like you know, especially with bands like stick to your guns. It's like, we're, you know, we're not a straightforward hardcore band. Like we, we have, we're, we have other aspects to us and, and we were inspired by other bands as well. So we, we kind of gained this weird following, this eclectic, not weird, but this eclectic following of different types of people who listen to, to listen to different types of music. And so, you know, we, you know, we would go on tour and you know, we're drawing 600 kids. And, and, and at a time when, when that really, I mean, that was definitely happening, but like, I don't know. I think people just saw like, holy shit. I think this hardcore metalcore trajectory is really kind of taken off. So, you know, obviously there's going to be people who come and try to uh, profit off of that. 
Exactly. How did the band do on Century Media? And I ask because back in the day, Century Media was like strictly metal. And I, you know, right. I've heard stories a couple of times of random hardcore bands that would get signed to Century Media, but things never really took off because it was a more metal focused label. Was was that your experience? Yeah, uh, no. I mean, I would say the benefit there really was in Europe. Um, I think yes. that their presence in the in the states was kind of just whatever. Um, I think they were kind of they were kind of uh, running off of credibility of what they had done in um, in in the U.S. Whereas in Europe, given the fact that the the guy who started the label is a European dude, I think he had a better grasp on the market out there. And you know, to this day, I mean, you could probably trace back the fact that Europe is our biggest market to this day. You could probably trace that back all the way to 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 Century Media because of because of that. You know, they they understood how to market bands to 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 Europeans, and 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 so uh, you know when we we're 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 in a different level of of band in 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 Europe than we are in the states or really anywhere else for that matter. Yeah. And um what other bands and things going on influenced you and Stick to Your Guns? Cuz I'm asking cuz I realized 2003 is like a strict cutoff time for me in terms of the scene because the band I was touring with stopped and i got really into post-rock and i just i just lost touch but like what was what was going on at the time and who influenced you because it's not it's not just a straightforward hardcore metallic sound there's some melodic elements and some some good choruses i like all of that stuff no definitely me too and that's the thing it's like people think like i just genuinely love big choruses you know what i mean i love a big catchy chorus and yeah uh bands like ignite or bands like uh death by stereo these, these were bands that like straight face, like, you know, these, these, these were bands that really kind of influenced us on like more of like a melodic side of things. And because they were the first bands that I heard who maybe not the first bands that I heard, but they would always be on hardcore shows. And these, I'm like, damn, like you have these like hard ass bands. And then you have these other bands coming up who have the same kind of energy, but they're doing something completely different. It was really weird to me. It's like, they look like hardcore kids they 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 play like hardcore kids but they're singing these insane melodies you know what i mean and so it, that was that's really what opened my mind up to that to to what the toolbox of hardcore could really be um instead of just a hammer you know what i mean um which i which i love i'm not saying that in any sort of like uh condescending or derogatory way right um but but for me personally i i like the fact that i was like oh fuck i could I could still do the hammer shit, but then also like I can, I can sing and I can, I can offer maybe something else. Yeah. I'm with you on that for the music. I write personally, I like to introduce structure into sure. the world of chaos. You know, I right, like, right. I like great song structure. I like choruses. I like repeatable phrases that you can understand. I, I like uh, introducing some of that structure into the madness. Yes, definitely. And I'm, I'm the same way. Like, and I think for hardcore too, especially with, for a music that, um, at least for me, uh, is supposed to have a message, you know, making sure that you're driving your point home is, is important. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. let's make it catchy. Let's not make it like too, um, obscure or whatever. And having said that, you know, there's bands like botch that I loved and, you know, there's like those kinds of bands that I love as well. And you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, sorry, you mentioned post-rock earlier and, you know, some of my favorite bands are like Mogwai and explosions and, and Godspeed black Emperor and things like that. So I, I as well have an eclectic taste and I'm, I'm always trying to find the way that I could push the boundary to try to add those different kinds of elements in. Obviously sometimes it's just, you just can't, (laughs) but you know, sometimes when I try to find a, a cool way to add this like 
god speedy part into a fucking stick to your gun song i i i really uh feel proud of that kind of stuff you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah there, there's moments or even if it's like you're trying to put an element in but it becomes something else completely exactly that, that's the element exactly now and, and because of that we've now made it our own you know what yeah. i mean so yeah i think that's important you and the band have been outspoken politically on different issues that you support and and that's that's a very upfront thing Jesse, what are some of the occurrences throughout your life and in this country that have shaped your beliefs? And let, let me explain what I mean. Like for myself personally, it was always presented uh, here. You, you're on this side or you're on this side. That's it. Take your pick. Right. And if you don't pick, you're irresponsible. You're horrible. And I, I believed that for a long time. And then as I got older, I saw things happen. I saw the financial collapse happen. And then I saw them just give billions of dollars to these banks uh, to cover it all up. And right. then I saw uh, different elections and I just saw things not changing. I saw wages not rising. Uh, and now with social media and Twitter, I found like-minded people and it's like the veil is lifted and I can see everything that's going on. And that's kind of what made me land where I am today. How about you? Yeah, definitely. I think there was a lot of things that, that led to it. You know, my dad fought in Vietnam and seeing the way that this country had treated him after he had done something like that, which personally, and this might bum out people, which I don't mind. I side with Vietnam on that war. I think we never should have been there. I think that the national liberation movement that Ho Chi Minh and, and, and General Giap were, were fighting over there was a, an honorable one, which they ended up winning. They decolonized themselves uh, and, and that they just, every country should have the right to sovereignty. And America doesn't like that. When a country wants to uh, say, you know what, we're going to use our natural natural resources for our people and our government, America goes, oh, no, 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 that's a no-no. So now what we're going to do is we're going to send over military, our army, for democracy. We're going to bring democracy to you because you clearly don't have that because you're not doing what we want. Um, and then also, again, the 2008 crash where my mother lost her home. Um, that was really like, I was like, okay, fuck these motherfuckers. And, and again, we live in a dictatorship and people don't think that because they have what you call the two choice option. But the problem is, and this is what I want to try to connect people to is that those two, the DNC and the GOP, they serve the same class interests and it is not ours. That's just the plain and simple fact. It is not ours. And there is no political representation of working people in America. And that is what I'm me and a lot of other people who are waking up are trying to change because working class politics are important. We need to start speaking about the things that are important to us. We want affordable housing. We want uh, uh, food security. We want you know, free education, if not affordable education. We want uh, the freedom of movement, whether that means better public transportation and funding, things like that. We want uh, health care. You know, these are things that we want. And, you know, you can see polling of these things all day fucking long from the American people. And a majority of us want that. So then why are bourgeois uh, elections of these two different parties who only serve the rich and powerful? It's, it's something that has to change. And, and, you know, people think I'm insane for being a socialist or a communist. And, that, and that's fine. I'm OK with you thinking that. But all I'm doing is looking at historically the way that America runs and the way that it sends our brothers and sisters off to fight in these wars for guarding poppy fields, just so that families like the Sackler family can make these horribly addictive drugs that kill our kids and kill our families or so that they can send our 
sisters over to fucking other countries to kill other working people to steal their oil or whatever it may be. Like, this is not for freedom. This is barbaric. This is a barbaric society. It really is. And so, of course, and it's become normalized. You know, it really has become normalized. So, of course, when someone comes along and says, hey, uh, we should probably do this different. Of course, they're going to look insane to a country that has normalized the mass murder of children, to a country that has normalized the uh, people living on the street, to a country that has normalized the death of people who have preventative things who should just who should just be able to walk into a hospital and receive care. uh, No questions asked, but instead are forced to die. You know, these are things that have become normalized. And so, you know, to look and to look, uh, to be insane in a, in a society that is insane. Like that's, that's, I, I, I hope, I hope I look crazy because I don't want to, I don't want to normalize this shit any longer. And I think people are starting to, to understand that. I hope so. I, I'm with you. And it's like, these are things that are very clearly going on. So when I, you know, it's like when I say, hey, I'm not going to support this by handing over a vote or just going along with what's going on. And people think I'm insane. Then I'm like, no, you don't realize you're insane. But I I, I don't, you know, it's my personal beliefs. So I'm not going to campaign to try to bring people on my side. I'm too old and tired for that. Sure, sure. But I I will continue to believe what I believe and lead by example and hope that others see what I'm doing, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's, I think that's, you know, all you can really hope for at this point. People just think that the the individual is the thing that should be held up to the most high. And there's, there's a reason for that, right? We, there's a reason we get sold individualism. There's a reason we get sold these movies where there's like the one good guy and all this kind of shit. It's because they don't want you to organize. They don't want you to talk to your neighbor. They don't want you to figure out what are your collective problems. Because yeah. here's the thing. We don't have individual problems. The problems that I have are the problems that you have. You know what I mean? And they might vary. They might be different. You might have, you know, uh, of 10 problems, you might have seven of them and I might have eight of them or vice versa or whatever it is. But we need to, in my opinion, we need to start showing solidarity between each other and not let them use things like racism or, um, you know, sexism or uh, xenophobia or these things to try to tear us apart. Because it's like, what are the fucking chances that these billionaire assholes have your best interests at heart? They don't. Not they don't. All. So like, not like let's, let's stop trying to pretend that they do is, is really all I'm suggesting. I'm not, I'm not trying to turn everyone into a communist or I'm not trying to do anything like that. I'm just, I'm just trying to get people to think politically because everything in life is political. This idea of like, Oh, don't make this political. Don't make what political food. Food is political. Water is political. It is all political. There's in this country, the richest nation on the planet. There are millions of people who don't have access to clean drinking water. You're going to tell me that's not a political, that's not a policy choice. Yeah. 100% Everything is. is political when it's controlled by these two political organizations. Now, if, if someone really wanted to, they could slash maybe 20 billion out of the defense budget and really help everyone. But they no, won't. sure. I, I think I definitely think that obviously to me, I, I want to abolish the military, but <laughs> we won't get into that. Um, and, and, and the reason for that is not because I think that, you know, people who fight in the military are, are bad people. That's not it. It's because I don't want to continue to mourn the dead. I want to save the living. That's yes. what I want to do. I, and- I, I, I've seen every single person on my dad's side of the family, poor Mexicans forced to fight in this military. You know what I mean? And, and they have PTSD because of it. They're all fucked up. 
You know what I mean? So it's like, I, 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 I have a firsthand account of this shit and I'm, I'm tired of seeing it. You know, that's one thing I try to do more is support everybody as people and not get tied up in, Oh, if you don't like this, then you hate all of this type. Exactly. Of and what I mean is like, uh, I used to be like, Oh, if this person doesn't hold my exact political beliefs, they must be a piece of crap. No, right. like with that, that is stuff people are conditioned with. So I, I just try to see the good in people and realize right. that most of us have a lot in common. And, and, and by doing that, I hope to get away from all the, the games. No, 100%. And it's also important to understand that there are different realities being lived in America. And, and, you know, instead of trying to, you know, poor people, like, for example, like uh, in Los Angeles, instead of being like, oh, all your problems that you're talking about, those aren't true because they don't apply to me. The only thing I do is I just try to listen and then I go and see what they're talking about. And it's, it's, it's pretty amazing that people who live two miles down the road from where I live, they don't have access to clean drinking water. They don't have access to bus routes. They don't have access to healthy food. They live in food deserts. You know what I mean? And also being poor is incredibly expensive. You know what I mean? It's like these upper middle-class moms get to go to Costco and buy things for pennies on the dollar. Whereas there's other people who don't have those kinds of, they got to go to the corner store and buy four rolls of toilet paper for 12 bucks. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's the, the, there, there are contexts that, that we need to start understanding um, of other people that are living in these realities in America um, instead of just denying them or, or, or trying to be like, Oh, well, I don't see it that way. So what you're going through doesn't exist. It's like all Uh, that, all that's got to stop. People have a hard time seeing something outside their own reality. And I wish it was, I wish that wasn't the case. I know. And it's again, I think that just circles back to our fetishizing of individualism. It's like, this is everyone in America is the main character of their own story. You know what I mean? And it's like, we got, we got to break out of that. And, and here's the thing people want to talk about like, Oh, well, it's just, I'm going to give a fuck about me and just worry about my shit. If we all had better transportation, better healthcare, better housing, better access to food, better all health, all that shit. Do you have any idea what that would do for the individual and how much the individual would thrive? Mm-hmm. But we're not going to be able to do that if we don't first solve our collective problems. You know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. Yeah. You yeah. know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I forget what it is. Shelter, food, and then love and then self-actualization. You know, 100 percent. You, you can't move to one without the other. Exactly. You know, and that that's that's been a big issue with 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 me. And because and, I do believe that spirituality is important. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I don't think you can be uh, on, on, on this side of things that I am politically without having a sense of spirituality, but like, you know, a, a, another problem that I have with like these, these spiritual types of folks is, is they don't want to address those things. They just want to say like, Oh, you're on the street. Well, Oh, just, just follow Buddha and you'll be fine. Or just follow Jesus and you'll be fine. It's like motherfucker, get that person into a house and get them what they need. And then they can start working on the, the, the self-actualization part, like what you were talking about. So, exactly. For those listening, Keith has been trying to make this interview happen for a while, and I have just been dodging him because Tor has been insane. He's been incredibly patient. So, you know, let's give a little uh, little round of applause for Keith here. Yes. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take any accolades I can get all the time. But all right, so we, we've got some time left here. Jesse, we've got some new things coming up. We've got a new Stick to Your Guns album coming out. Spectre is going to be out July 29th via Pure Noise Records. Yes? Yes. So we have to get that. We have to listen to that. Now, folks, there's a couple new singles out there. 
weapon and more of us than them we want to listen to those tell us a little bit about the album jesse some of the inspiration tell us what to expect definitely so yeah the the album is definitely a politically charged one which should not be a surprise to anyone um but also you know it, it is me trying to 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 add in those those aspects of spirituality that i'm talking about for example like with the song like weapon like saying my heart is the weapon like that's that is what I will use to try to lead me and guide me. Obviously, there are times you need to use your mind, your brain a little bit more than you than you use your heart. But I, uh, you know, I I, tr- I truly do believe that, and 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 to trust to trust your instincts. And if something feels wrong or something feels bad or something like that, or or or, or to not try to deny. Like one of, one of the lines I say in, in Weapon is, uh, "Hate fuels the love in me." And a lot of people are like, "Well, how's that possible?" Well, it's like. I hate seeing people sleep outside. I hate that. So that is going to fuel an act of love to try to get these people things that they need. You know, and again, this isn't me trying to pat myself on the back or whatever. This is just me. I'm I'm tired of seeing this. I'm tired of seeing human beings treated as disposable things that can just be thrown away. And and I know a lot of people are. I know that a lot of people are. You know, and I always say that about me and me and my me and my drummer George joke about how the GOP is always right for the wrong reasons. You know, it's like Republicans in Los Angeles, they hate seeing people sleep outside. And so do I, you know what I mean? I, I think that's, we, we, we can agree on that. We don't want to see people sleeping outside. Um, the GOP, unfortunately, at least most of them think that it's because these people are scum, drug addicts, pieces of shit that just need to be euthanized where I'm saying, I think that these people just need resources and then we can then better bring people back into society to be active members of that society. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there for, at least for this conversation. Um, and then also more of us than them is people know like, Hey, and we often feel defeated by the, you know, Coke and Pepsi choices that we have, but we can think we can, I know I, I see every day the human creativity and the human innovation that happens. Like we are such creative motherfuckers. Like, let's think of something better. Let's throw this away and think of something better, you know, and there are more of us than them. There are. So let's do what's best for the more. And, and, and let's not worry so much about the them who are plundering the fucking world every day and and making a majority of our lives miserable. There is certainly much room for improvement. I think we have some outdated uh, ways of doing things and that uh, we need to start thinking about some new and better ways of doing them. Right. Exactly. In a creative, fun and creative way. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not I'm not so humorless that I think that everything has to be like, uh, uh, you know, miserable and all that kind of shit. Like, let's 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 try to add the joy back to our lives. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So uh, Tradewind had an album out last year. The day we got what we deserved. How has that been going? That's been going great, too. Like that's you know, that was kind of a we, we got together. Tradewind is a funny band because we, we don't have a lot of time because every member of that band is also in other projects. So we kind of just get together in these super short periods of time and just shit out these songs. And, <laughs> you know, it's 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 uh, it's it's kind of cool. Though. I kind of like the process that way because you don't overthink and you kind of just like really go with your gut. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, yeah, we've been able to create some cool, some cool stuff. Yeah, I I really like what the band is doing. You know, what what is some of the stuff that inspired the band initially? Oh, uh, it's really just my my one of my best friends, Tom Williams, who plays in Straight from the Path. He was, you know, him and I just have, have toured together so much with Secure Guns and Straight from the Path. And he was kind of like, I like different kinds of music. You like different kinds of music. Let's fucking give it a go. Yeah, you know what I mean, it was kind of as simple as that. And uh, you have a new band, Ways Away. What is yes. this band? 
What will it sound like? What can we expect from the band? Yeah, definitely. So we, we, we released an, uh, an LP last year and we have a new one coming out, uh, hopefully this year, but, um, or actually I think we released our first LP in 2020. Um, but yeah, it's like more of like a, a Gainesville style, uh, you know what I mean? Like hot water music ish kind of band. Um, and that's, like I said earlier, I, I quoted my friend Sergi Lubkoff, um, who played in Knapsack and he plays in Sam I Am and that he, it's kind of his brainchild. And I was brought into this thing. And, and, and those are two bands that I, to this day still fucking love. So the fact that I get to play with him is a dream come true. Excellent. And did you open the bookstore? Yes. The bookstore is open. Yes. How do you open a bookstore? Do you, do you buy the store and then you have to get a bunch of books or did you get it uh, as it is? What, how, what's the process? So the idea of really for the bookstore is it's not so much a bookstore as it is a community space. And, and, and we offer uh, free food to people. We offer um, free clothing. We give people rides to the DMV. We give them rides to the doctor's appointment. We even offer money to a lot of the locals who need money for medications and, and, and things like this. So it's more of a community space where people come together and we talk about all sorts of different things. And, and we talk about, like what I was saying earlier, those creative ways in which we think that we can change our neighborhoods or change our cities or change our state or change our country or ultimately change our world, you know, and that's how it starts one foot in front of the other, you know, a group of five people can eventually lead to a, to a very big movement, you know? So that's, that's all we're hoping to do with that. I love that. You know, not only are you speaking out on all the things that are important to you, but you're actually giving back to the community as well. I mean, that's, that's everything. Yeah. And that's super important to me, you know, and that these are things that, you know, I wish my mother could have had access to too. And, when, you know, when, when, when she was going through her, her hard time as well, trying to, trying to raise all of us. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a very dear project to my heart and something that I, I, I work on every single day, you know, even when I'm on tour. Yes. And folks, Jesse is very busy. Stick to your guns, have the record coming out. They're on tour right now. I see him sitting in the van outside the show. <laughs> so we're going to be wrapping it up. So you're heading to Europe tomorrow, right? Yep. Fly to Europe tomorrow. And then you're going to be back because you're playing Furnace Fest in September. That's going to be fun, right? Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait. Have you ever been down there? I, we've played. Uh, it's in Alabama, right? We, yeah. we, we've, we've played Alabama, not never Furnace Fest. Okay. You're going to love it. Yeah. It's, it's an un- unbelievable grounds. And yeah. uh, so to quickly recap, because Jesse has to get onto the show, we want to check out Stick to Your Guns. We want to listen to the new album Spectre, which is out July 29th. We have to check out Tradewind. If we have not, great band. Wish You Were Here, Jesse's solo work. We want to hear that. Ways Away, they've got a record out and another one coming. Go to the bookstore, give back. Oh, and last but not least, we have to support the label, right? Other People Records. That's right. (laughs) Yes, you're doing it all, Jesse, and you're doing it all very well. I appreciate you, brother. Jesse, I just want to say thank you so much for making the time for us. Good luck with everything and uh, talk to you soon. I appreciate you. And there you have it. Jesse Barnett. Great conversation. Great. Co- you know, even though we only had him for 40 minutes about I feel like we covered a ton of ground and he's just a great person to talk to. Super nice, super busy. Like we were talking about before. I mean, you've got stick to your guns. You've got trade wind. You've got ways away. You have his solo work in wish you were here. You've got the bookstore. Now you've got the record label. He's doing it all. 
And I, I liked the whole conversation just about what shaped his political viewpoints and the background on that, because as we know, Jesse is very outspoken on his views on this country. And, and you know, and, he, and not only did he share those views, but what he's doing to give back, like Tommy, that whole part where, you know, he has the, the bookstore slash community center, and they're helping feed people and give back to the community. He's not only talking about things, he's doing things. I just loved the conversation. It was great. Yeah. It's like that place in Philly that they used to have. Um, uh, remember on all, it was right off of South street. It was called wooden shoe. And it was yes. like uh, the anarchist people ran it. And it was like, nobody worked there. Uh, it was just all volunteers. Everybody that worked there was unbelievably kind. and would point you in the right direction. Like, Hey, I'm looking for something on this. It was like, I love that. You know, you have guests on that are not only, voicing their opinions but like they stand behind them and put their mouth or put their money where their mouth is a hundred percent and tommy i know you loved that costco mention from jesse in the interview (laughs) and how funny is it that you just happened to co-host this episode and there's a costco mention that's fate that is fate i was at costco this morning I know you were. <laughs> I bought back to I, I bought some new clothes to go back to work. I bought some uh, Ben Sherman polos and uh, a couple dress shirts and some new khakis. It's it's going to be phenomenal. I mean, you're going to be ready. You're going to be fresh, fresh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Tommy and I want to do a debrief here because Tommy, do you know it's been only four months since you left the show? Can you believe that? No, it fe- it feels like a lot longer. I counted the time because I knew you were going to be on and I could not believe it. It feels like way longer because there's so much stuff. There's so much stuff I had to go through and just, uh, you know, dealing with things. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But do you know what it's time for now, Tommy? Oh, no. Yeah, I do. (laughs) That's right. We're bringing it back. The Pop Culture Minute. And this is where we talk about the hot pop culture topics of the day. Who's in? Who's out? Who's canceled? Who's not? Tommy, are you ready I, yeah. for the pop culture minute? Yeah. <laughs> you don't sound excited. What's wrong? I just, I, I already can tell you, uh, I have a pop culture thing that was already told to me today, which was Kelly came up to me and she goes, do you know Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian aren't dating anymore? That's it. That's what we're going to talk about. Oh, that, fucked it up. Yes. All right. Never mind. Just, re- just play the bet again. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Skeet Davidson and Kim Kardashian are done. Your thoughts share with us. Uh, I mean, he got a bunch of tattoos with her name and stuff, didn't he? Apparently, I saw a meme where he was disappointed that he got tattoos of her and all the kids, and he he, he seems to be pretty quick to get tattoos of anyone he's dating with. That's probably not the greatest idea. Oh, yeah. No, that's kind of the death knell for any kind of relationship is like, let me get your initials on. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you're together for like 15 years, yeah, then maybe. But my wife and I will get matching tattoos on our 15th anniversary, which is yeah, next year. Yeah. <laughs> I think you two are going to be just fine. But what do you think of Skeet Davidson and Kim Kardashian? Now, I know you're a big Kanye West fan. Now, some of those feelings may factor in. Lay it on us, Tommy. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I don't have any real opinion about him other than uh, I, I saw a preview. I didn't see the whole thing, but I saw a preview for that movie that he was in, that King of Staten Island. 
he yeah. seems like he's really funny. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I wish him the best. She seems like a horrible person uh, for so <laughs> many different reasons. I, I, I really kind of can't even start to enumerate, but um, I, I don't, there's something about her that I know is appealing to people because she is attractive, but at the same time, she really is, she seems like a terrible person just in general. How so? How so? Uh, she seems to use people for whatever her modus operandi is in the moment. Who's the best rapper in the game? Okay, I'm going to go with Kanye. Like, you know, like I'm going to go with Yee now because he's the best one. And then, you know, drop him because, well, you know, he's he's crazy. <laughs> admittedly, <laughs> he, admittedly so. He's a nut. Like, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't foresee that relationship. I didn't see them having kids, but like that was kind of crazy. But at the same time, I think with Pete Davidson, he's been really cool about um, – I remember seeing a, a thing from Weekend Update, uh, I guess maybe a year or two ago, where he was talking about his sobriety. And uh, like I, I wish him all the best because I, I hope this is not something that kind of triggers him and gets him back in uh, like using again. But, you know, um, good luck. <laughs> yeah. You know, my thoughts on this, when you're in Hollywood, as these two are – no, you know what? Forget Hollywood. Okay, they were they were both in big relationships, right? Uh, Pete Davidson was with Ariana Grande, Kim Kardashian was with Kanye West, and they those relationships ended, so they ended up with each other, right? And uh, you, you know how when people get out of a relationship, they'll be in another, they'll be like the intermediary relationship or relationships before they settle on the relationship. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This was the intermediary relationship. And it makes for great headlines. I mean, Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian. Look, we're talking about it. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't get it. Like, I, <laughs> like, when I see him, I go, okay, he looks like a normal dude. She seems like she's... I'm just, I'm surprised she was with him because he's like goofy and a comedian and he he looks kind of like a normal dude. Yeah. But she's she's like a supermodel type. Yeah, I, she's very, she looks, you know, obviously she's like primped and proper every time you see her yeah she seems very high maintenance yeah and i feel like he would be like i don't want to deal with this lady getting ready for six hours like (laughs) i'm trying to go out and have fun with my friends and like make jokes but you know to each his own man like that with that kind of stuff like you never understand why people are with other people uh i've seen relationships with people i work with where i go they introduce their significant other and you look at them and go really (laughs) <laughs> like, like you just are like that's not the person i imagined you with but at the same time uh i don't live your life so best of luck like, i don't know what else to tell you like that i think with him like he seems like such a down-to-earth like normal everyday guy and she seems so instagram she's like super ho- she yeah she's like yeah. super hollywood like yeah. worlds we can't even comprehend yeah like her hair is perfect every time like i don't i don't i she lives a life where she walks out of the house and imagine like, you know, she walks out of the house knowing that she's going to be photographed. <laughs> Whereas I, you know, I wore a tank top and flip flops today to go buy strawberries and, you know, other stuff at Costco. <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> to me, I feel like it, it would be like a regular guy dating, you know, the most famous person in the world. And it's like, uh, like I, I, it's hard to imagine how it went right for, how, how long were they together? A year? 
Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's hard to imagine it went to that right for a year. <laughs> like, like you, I would have thought it would have been like a month. Well, we wish them both the best. And Tommy, that was it. That was the Pop Culture Minute, where we discussed the hot topics of the day. And we did. And Tommy, I will bring this bit back every time you were on the show, because I know how much you love it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I did one after you left, and it just—it it was okay, but it just wasn't the same. Oh. It's not the same with like without your disappointment at the whole bit. You know, <laughs> my complete. I need. <laughs> I need to play off of you. Yeah, yeah, it's just my complete disapproval of like, ugh. Yeah, that's what makes it fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if you've been listening since the beginning, you know Tommy left the show back in March, and Tommy, I haven't really talked to you about the whole thing at all. We haven't had like a debrief, so let's do that now. Oh, and uh, let me point out first, I was hoping Tommy wouldn't mention this, or I was hoping Tommy wouldn't uh, notice this, but the episode he was last on. Oh, yeah. It it (laughs) It was called Good Riddance. It was the dude from Good Riddance. (laughs) Yeah, it was Russ Rankin from Good Riddance. And I saw that and I was like, oh, no, I hope he doesn't notice. And then a couple of days later, he texted me. He's like, you know, the last episode I was on is Good Riddance. And I was like, it's a bad coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> I have impeccable timing. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it was. All right. So you left the show. Now, I'm going to tell you what I went through first. Yeah, please. Um, I was like really depressed. Not not like insane depressed like I was late last year. And, but I was depressed. Like I felt kind of sick to my stomach for i would say a week it was like somewhere a week to two weeks i can't remember a week two weeks one of those and i just felt really sad and really lethargic and just like even though i knew the show was going to go on you and i started this thing from the very beginning and it, it felt like it felt like a breakup it felt like a breakup even though everything was okay and i you know but then after like a week or two i snapped out of it and i was like oh back to work I, I, I echo that. I, I, I felt roughly the same way. Um, I did have like a weird, like week to two week period where, I, uh, I didn't listen to music actually. <laughs> Cause oh, every wow. time I thought about music and I thought about the show and that gave me that, like you described like that pit of my stomach feeling where I'm like, ugh, I don't want to be here. Like, and I don't want to be in this place. What can I do to avoid this? And, uh, the best thing I could do to avoid it was just not listen to music for a little while. So I took a break from music and uh, it, not a complete break. I did listen to a couple things like, you know, um, like classical music or something like that if I was on my way to work. Um, but I, I anything like that reminded me of the show, I, I completely tuned out. Wow. So you went through it, too. Oh, yeah. 100 percent. Yeah. And remember when it was like a day after it happened, Vadim texted us in that little three-person group chat we have and yeah. just none of us said anything <laughs> do you remember that yes i remember staring at that text for a while one time and i'm being like i should say something and i was like you know what i'm just gonna i'm gonna let it sit for a while and then uh you know vadim and i still text once in a while about math or skateboarding and stuff and uh i thought about like just bringing that up in general and then i'm like you know what let sleeping dogs lie. I don't want to hash up any things, but my thing with, especially with Vadim is like Vadim is just the ultimate 
good friend. Like every time I have yes. something that's an issue, like I can come to him, like, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with teaching this in class or it can be something as simple as like, Hey, when I go to tune like this, how do I, you know, when I'm using my guitar, like especially anything guitar related or math related that he's my go-to person. Well, I think I replied to the text because I was like, this is weird. Don't make it weird. Just reply. And then, you know, I, I hopefully that broke the ice. I, don't rem- I, I honestly don't remember now. <laughs> like, yeah. But listen, I, I just needed to take time to get over this thing, which I knew I would. And after a couple weeks, I was fine. And, you know, we've spoken since then. Oh, yeah. So I have some questions for you. Okay. How long until you listened to this show again? Or did you listen to the show again? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, so I listened to uh, Adam McGrath. Yes. And there was somebody else. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I definitely listened. As soon as I saw the cave in one, I'm like, I'm listening to that. And then that's the only one that I can think of. That's the only, like, you've uh, only listened to one since you, since you left. Yeah. I think that's it. Is it still weird? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very weird hearing like the intro. That was like the one that kind of like hit me in the gut a little bit where I was like, oof, like, hi, this is Keith and welcome to the new scene. I was like, oh, yeah, there's no pause. There's no, and Tommy. (laughs) Yeah. It was so hard to like come up with a new intro and get used to it. Oh, you know what? You should listen to, um, oh, avail, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I did. I did start that one. I don't think I finished it though. But I did start Tim Barry's. Do, do you remember what I said in the beginning? No. Oh wait, did you mention that like you were talking about dealing with loss? And no, no, I don't remember. I asked him how he's. You know, I always ask everyone how are you doing today. He asked me how I'm doing, which guests usually usually don't do, and I was like caught off guard, and I was like, well, not that great because uh, something got messed up at work. And I used to do this show with my friend, and he left. And then Tim Barry gave me like a little pep talk, and I felt better. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, Isn't that nice? I, I kind of do remember this now, but uh, honestly, like the end of my school year was so chaotic. I, I kind of, I think I listened to it for a little bit and was like, you know what? I have other things to deal with. I'm going to kind of push that to the back. So, yeah. So is it it's still weird for you to hear the show? Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Is it weird to hear like guest co-hosts? No, I I started to listen to the one with uh where Josh was on. Yes. Um I felt the same kind of like I I went through what Josh goes through which was like struggling to find something to say <laughs> in the moment cuz you're <laughs> like, "Oh shit, this is my per- this is my turn to talk. I'm supposed to add something here." Or like you give some type of cue of like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And it's like, "Oh fuck." Like <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Um, so yeah, I think that was, it wasn't like the most, I, I think really getting back into the mindset of the show went on without me is a, is probably the hardest pill to swallow. Honestly, like I, cause yeah. that was like where I was like, I'm so happy for you that you continue doing this. But there was also part of me that was like, Oh, like I thought this was La Cosa Nostra. This was our thing. <laughs> this is this is the thing of ours. Like uh, you know, so that was a little bit difficult, but at the same time, it's like I really appreciate the fact that you you have the work ethic that you do with this show. Um, and I know that 
there's times where you've texted me and been like, I've recorded four times this week or I've recorded three times this week. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I would never be able to do that. <laughs> like, there's, there's no way I'd be able to keep up with that. Yeah, it's gotten way busier. We had it so easy. I would say pre-iodine, we, even though it was a struggle to find guests and you know and all that stuff, all we did was the show. We recorded the show and then we'd put out the show and make a post. That was it. Now there's uh there's a lot of emails, there's a lot of planning, there's a lot of recording, there's a lot of content. You know, I've got three YouTube channels now. I've got reels that I make, there's posts, there's like it it takes up basically my whole weekend now too. Or most no, not not the whole weekend, but a lot of it. But I I mean, this is what I do, so I don't mind. Yeah, that's where I remember uh like when we first started working with iodine talking about like making the graphics and remember you sending them to me being like, all right, this is what they sent over. And I was like, Oh, okay, great. And you're like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to have to learn how to use Photoshop to be able to do these. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no way I'm doing that. So, um, you know, uh, this has always been for you. Like it's, it's been so much work, but you love the work. So like, it doesn't, necessarily and I, I i don't want to put words in your mouth but like i know that you enjoy this so much um yeah that it doesn't necessarily feel like a chore i know that some no this is like this is what i do like some people watch sports some people play sports some people go out and have drinks with their friends this is what i do like this is what i do for enjoyment yeah i love it and uh i will say that every time i see you on twitch i try to log on <laughs> i don't Yes. Now, to our listeners, Tommy is the greatest because he is the only person who comes to my Twitch streams. No, that's wrong. All right. He is the only person who comes to my Twitch streams and chats. <laughs> and Tommy, I appreciate that because that helps me. So if there's any of my Twitch lurkers out there, ch uh, just drop a couple messages in the chat and say hi or something because that helps me. Like if I get three people chatting in the chat at the same time, it... uh. I reached like some new achievement or something. Ooh. Yeah. Well, that's what I, I will say this with Instagram. I always try to say when I see a post, I always drop a couple hearts in there. <laughs> I love that. It just, yeah. just to up your engagement just a little bit. You know what? I appreciate that. And I do that for other people too. And that's why you're the best, Tommy. That's why you're the best. And there's a, there's a show conspiracy theory out there, Tommy. And I, I want you to confirm or disprove it. Are you ready? Let's go. <laughs> the conspiracy theory is that you did not leave the show because you were too busy at home. That it may have been for other reasons. Is that is that true or is that not true? Oh, that is not true. I, I, I welcome who anybody that has that theory come to my house for 10 hours. <laughs> Actually, just you know, 45 minutes. I'll give you 45 minutes and watch the chaos, the circus that is my home and then go, yeah, everything's okay. Like that's actually everything he said makes sense. <laughs> I I know it's true, and you know why. Oh wait, actually, actually, this is interesting. Now, you said you had to leave because the show was taking up too much time, which it is. You know, we were doing two interviews a week sometimes, and your whole night would be taken over by this show. And you've got three kids. But what I told people is, no, he didn't take the job. He did not take the job. Because that was going to take time away from his family. So I know he's telling the truth. But this could be a shocking reveal. Did you take the new job? 
I did not. <gasps> wow. <laughs> so you didn't take the new job still? No. Um, this is the one thing, and this is actually something that uh, my wife and I actually just talked about literally last night. The The new job would involve me being a 12-month employee. So that also means uh, when we have Thanksgiving break, Christmas break, Easter break, spring break, all of those things that are, you know, five, six, seven days off in a row, sometimes 10 days for Christmas break, I would have to use my personal time to take time off. So forget that. Yeah. Well, see, there you go. See, the job would have taken time away from your family. So you didn't take the job. That's how I know that you really left the show for the reasons you said you left. You know, yeah, I was thinking like, oh, maybe I'm too big of a pain in the ass or I mean, that's true. Oh, you're but, a huge pain in the ass. But if the thing yeah. is, is I, I, I love you. So I don't, I'll deal with whatever nonsense you have to deal with. Cause like, I'll go, it's Keith. Like, I literally would come upstairs, like, after we had an argument or like got into it over something or, you know, mic sound wasn't right. And I go, it's Keith. Like, I don't, I, I like as much as I can get upset about that, like, I've known you and your person. You have not changed in terms of the way you interact with me since we were 16, 17 years old. Like really, it, none of that has changed. Like you, you have the same demeanor all the time. So wow. that whole thing of like, oh, well, I would always just go like, well, it, that's Keith. Like you can't get mad at somebody for, you know, like that. Uh, what's that old Aesop's fable? Like the the scorpion and the frog. Like yeah, and it's, and it's like the frog takes the ride from the scorpion, or the the scorpion takes the ride from the frog, and then the frog gets stung, and then the scorpion's like. What'd you expect? I'm a scorpion. Like we're both going to drown now. <laughs> and it's like, I knew what I was getting into get doing this show with you. Like you are a perfectionist. And I think a large part of like why I wanted to do this with you is because one, I love you and you're so much fun to be around and having conversations with you is always interesting. And then two, like you really are super like into like the 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 details of something like you don't just go like oh i i like this or i i think this sounds okay like okay is never good for you like you you want perfection i'm like well if there's anything i'm going to be a part of like this is it like because i know that keith will always put out a product that's unbelievable like it's going to be people are going to hear it and go that sounds great content's great guest is great keith obviously did his research Tommy's funny sometimes. <laughs> like, no, you're funny all the time, first of all. And you're really gassing me up right now. Tommy, we should get married. What do you think? Oof. All right. <laughs> um, no, never mind. You're too busy. Um, <laughs> you're too busy. You don't need any more headaches. Oh, can we tell them about the fight? I don't know if we mentioned the fight on the air. I can't remember. But Tommy and I had an argument shortly before he left the show about something show related, you know, like a logistics thing. Oh yeah. And we were going to have the conversation on the air because I thought it would be interesting and, you know, for the listeners, and it turned into a 30-minute blowout fight. The worst fight we've ever had. And I I had to scrap the whole thing. I still have the recording, Tommy. Uh, you sent it to me and I remember listening back to it and it, I I listened to about 3 or 4 minutes of it and I went, "No. I I'm not <laughs> I'm not listening to cuz one, I sound like an ass. I, like I sound like a complete <laughs> dickhead. And then on top of that, um, it, I started getting angry all over again. I was like, "This is." I, the, 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 there's so many things I w wish I had been like, "No, this is the right thing." And I'm like, 
this is so dumb. Like I'm getting angry at a recording. This is silly. Put it away. Stop. Do some push-ups and go to sleep, dummy. Like stop. Like this is I really got to the point with that argument where I was like, you know what? I think it was so many things of not just you and I having the conflict that normally arises from doing a creative venture together, right? Um, yeah. It was also like I had all these other things happening at the same time, and a lot of it was just like raising a family, being married, you know, uh, you know running a household. Like there was a lot of shit. There was that- a lot of conversations that weren't happening, and everything came to a head yeah. at once. A hundred percent. Yeah. The conversations that weren't happening weren't just between you and I. Like it was literally like it was literally my wife and I not communicating well about my time in the house and like where I was and what I was doing. And I think a lot of this came down to I had to kind of sit back and think, you know, am I really being honest about my communication? Like my communication was like, okay, I can I can squash this for another week, another month, another three months or however long. And then what ends up happening every single time is it explodes. And, you know, the, the problem was, is that, you know, my wife and I were having an issue with the amount of time I was spending with the show. And not only that, but I was getting frustrated with, you know, I wasn't on time sometimes. And it was like, dude, like I suck at being on time. But when you tell me I suck at being on time, I don't want to fucking hear it. Like, like that's, it's like, all right, if you come over my house and my mom screams at you, I'll be yeah. like, mommy, stop. And then we walk outside and you're like, wow, your mom's a bitch. I'll be like, bro, you fucking say another word about my mother. I'm going to fucking knock your teeth out. Like you yeah. can talk shit about whoever you want. But when it's my family, I'm like, oh my God. But the problem was, is that I didn't vent any of that stuff out loud to the people around me uh and you know you were only only a portion of that and you know it it was it was work it was home it was the podcast all of it just kind of came to a head and it just uh yeah it didn't go well (laughs) let's just put it that way uh (laughs) yeah by the way those tapes will never see the light of day they they're like the uh timothy treadwell (laughs) bear attack tapes they will they will never be unearthed. They will never be aired. It's 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 not good. So just forget about it. No one can ever listen to this. No one. <laughs> destroy this. You must never. Destroy you must this. never. Li- you must never let anyone to listen to this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's it's that bad. It is bad. It's oh, bad. It, it's vile. Like there's a couple times it's where bad. I was surprised by what you said, and then I was like shocked by what I said in response, and I was like. Uh, we got nasty. Our feelings were hurt, so we got nasty. Uh, but uh, listen, everything's good now, and I think this is all for the best. Tommy, this is like uh, we were in a passionate relationship together, but it just didn't work out. Yeah. And then we let some time go by, and now like I'm dating someone new, and you're dating someone new, and we're like all friends. I yeah. think it's one of those type of situations. We all ran into each other at a diner, and we're going to sit down and have a meal. Exactly. And it's, we even make plans sometimes. Hey, we're going to go to this restaurant, or hey, we're going to do this. I love the analogy. It's a good analogy. All right. So Tommy still listens to the show occasionally, but it's still weird. Oh, do you think the show is better now or worse now? Uh, just basing it just on the Adam McGrath interview, it's better. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's it's also, I think. See, I would have, I'm egotistical, so I would have just said worse. I'm not there. But I was curious about where you'd go with it. <laughs> no, I, I think. And this is what I think listeners don't necessarily 
you don't figure this in every time is that there's some guests that are just, I don't care what band you're in. I don't care. Like if you can have a, like a real conversation with someone, it makes for so much more engaging content. Um, yeah. And Adam was just able to flow through things and talk about stuff in a way that was not only engaging, but he kind of set the hook early with certain things of like, we're going to talk about this and then really got into the meat of things. And you were like, Oh shit, that's what I was waiting for. And it's like, yeah, he, you know what? First, that's probably my favorite interview I've done like overall recently, just because I was dying to have that conversation. Second, what you're saying, yes, he's a pro. He would, he would set the hook and then launch into the conversation. He's a professional. He knew yeah. exactly what he was doing. Really, really great interviewees will turn questions around and mm-hmm. ask you, okay, so you asked me about this. Like, what about you? Like what you were talking about with like with Tim Barry is like, okay, how are you doing today? And he goes through like, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing and like how are you doing? Like that kind of understanding that this is a give and take is is crucial. Like, you know, you could sit there and you could go read an interview in Kerrang or, or Vice or something like that and get the yeah, same answer. Yeah, that's why it's it's a fine balance. I drop in some personal experience to get them to open up about something else, but you don't want to do too much because then it sounds like you're talking about yourself too much. It's a whole thing, Tommy. It's yeah. a whole thing. <laughs> oh, what are you listening to lately? We forgot to talk about that in the beginning. I'm curious. Oh, I have to open up my Amazon music. <laughs> I will tell you in a moment. Holy cow, this is my new favorite thing. It's a band called Dead Bird, and the album is called In the Absence Of, and Mm -hmm. the track that I'm listening to is called Shell That Echoes Only. Think Caspian meets not like Jerome's Dream, but more like a heavier screamo kind of, um, maybe more like, Caspian meets, I don't know, KM or closure or something like that. Like that kind of stuff, like heavy, but melodic and deep and thoughtful. And like, you know, when you find like a lot of those emo kind of like heavy bands, their tracks are like, you know, two, three minutes tops. Uh, those dead bird tracks are like six, seven, eight minutes long. They're, they're phenomenal. That sounds fantastic. I got to check that out. And I, I'm just, I'm so stuck on Greet Death. I can't stop listening to New Hell, Tommy. That's their 2019 LP. Have you heard that? I have not. I'm putting it on my phone right now. Check it out. I can, it, I, I'm completely stuck in this. It's all I'm listening to. And we just had them on the show. That was great. What else have I been listening to? Uh, I'm still stuck. And this is like old show stuff, but Kublai Khan. Yeah. Still listen to them often. And then a mutual friend of ours texted me about a potential botch reunion. Oh, that's right. That might be happening. So uh, I've been listening to a lot of botch. (laughs) (laughs) And specifically, I forget the name of the album. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Anthology of Dead Ends. Yeah. So botch is Anthology of Dead Ends and then uh, American Nervoso. Yes. Since we are seen, since we are top scene reporters, well, you must report that the botch reunion is rumored to be happening. Sergeant House posted something on Twitter. There was a photo posted by somebody in the band, got together with some old friends, and there was some equipment set up. It might be happening. It might be happening, and we're just going to have to wait and see. I just hope they play St. Vitus because it's close to my house, and I won't have to travel that far. 
Yeah, that would, I, I just, uh, that's a band that I, I never saw live and I, I wish I had, and, uh, I would be really, I saw them once and I'll never forget it. Actually, I forget most of it, but <laughs> what I remember was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where did you see them? Unitarian church with Dillinger. Wow. I had a bot shirt for a very long time. And the unfortunate part of exercising is, uh, I don't fit into it anymore. So they have all those old shirts back up in their store. Get a new one. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, dude. Yeah. You have to. Well, listen, we're just about out of time, but Tommy, (laughs) I want you to know that you're appreciated and that I miss you and that it was very hard to get over your departure from the show, but it's what to ha- it's what had to happen because the show's only getting busier and busier and you have a family, three kids. This is what I tell people when the, I talk about you leaving. I'm like, he's got three kids. He's got a family. That's a full-time job in and of itself. This show is a full-time job now, so it's just, you know, it's just what had to happen, but I love you and I miss you and I miss having these conversations every week, but we're still friends and Tommy, I will remember you. Will you remember me? Of course. And I love you too. However, I do want to ask this as a very egotistical kind of like ask question. How often yes. do, do people ask about me often? Um, not, <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> not like every day, but it, it does come up in conversation still. I was, uh, I was at band practice today and one of my bandmates didn't realize that you had left the show. So I was talking about it. So it, it does come up still. Yeah. I'm gone, but not forgotten. And there's a guy, uh, there's a guy named Simon who's listening to every episode of the show from the beginning. What? Yeah, and he's still in the pre-iodine episodes. So I wonder. I'm like, does he know Tommy left? Oh. Like, is he still going to listen after he realizes Tommy's gone? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what he knows. So I've mentioned him a couple times in the show, so he he doesn't even know that's happening. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lord. Yeah. All right. Well. It's good times. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I'm i glad we got to do this. Let's make this an annual thing. You know, right before you go back to school. Oh, yeah. You come on the show again, and we have a good time. And, yeah, you're always going to be part of this. Yeah. I just uh, – I'll, I'll give you a quick uh, family update. Dog's still alive. Really? Uh, yeah. She will wow, – that's sh- good. She'll be 14 in February. Girls are going to third grade. Uh, baby is starting preschool. And uh, I'm still teaching sixth and part of eighth grade math. That's excellent. It, it yeah. sounds like everybody's good. Yeah. And I'm still doing the same exact things, just more of them. Well, you're phenomenal at them. So I don't, they'd be silly to get rid of you. Hey, I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it. So that's it. That's it. We hope you enjoyed this, Tommy. It's great to have you back here. And I'm back next week. Sadly, without... No, I don't want to drag this out anymore. Okay. okay. Listen, uh, I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest, and we will eagerly await Tommy's next return to the show. So that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time.
Kublai Khan put out that new EP. Uh, it is called Swan Song. Uh, yes. And it features Scott Vogel from Terror. Scott Vogel. Is it Vogel? Vogel. He's not French. 